want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. Philosopher kings and queens, philosopher princes and princesses, philosopher royalty for those who prefer the gender neutral terms. It's me, it's Gerardo Munoz. I know, like Rakim said, it's been a long time. It has really been a long time, but I'm coming at you. I'm Gerardo Munoz, your 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year, but more importantly, it is me, your critical conscience, your philosopher king, and I'm here to bring you some ill literacy, some ill legitimacy, some ill behavior, and some ill advised actions here on a habitually disruptive if you're hearing this it's because you just started subscribing to the habitually disruptive podcast on a separate platform yes we are separating out the two dope productions uh sort of platforms so that they can have their own feeds and so you can maybe save a little bit of time and energy. Uh, you'll still always be able to find Habitually Disruptive at our Patreon, patreon.com slash teachers, where for as little as $5 a month, you can get access to bonus materials. No, seriously, you can get access to bonus materials. It has been a wild ride. Um, and head over to the Two Dope Teachers and a Mike podcast to get a little bit of a notion of what that ride has been like <clears throat> and why you've heard so little from Kevin or from me um, over the last couple of months. Uh, we are back and uh, we're going through a little bit of a reorganization and so me and Kev are going to be talking a little bit with you about what to expect from Two Dope Productions going forward. You can always listen to Two Dope Teachers and a mic on any platform where you get podcasts. Uh, the same goes for the exit interview with Asia Lyons and Kevin Adams. You will be able to hear that regularly as well. And we will just keep you posted. Summer 2022 mixtape is on the way. Um, we're very excited to bring you some amazing tracks uh, by some amazing artists who are reinventing education and beyond. And uh, very excited uh, to have that. 
So I, I don't want to bury the lead. Um, some of you already know this, especially if you follow um, me or the podcast on on uh, social media. But I, Gerardo Munoz, the 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year and 23-year veteran of Denver Public Schools, have left the classroom. Yeah. It has been all the emotions, and I think I'm, I'm still processing them. I think I always will be processing them. I don't think this is an easy thing for anybody. Um, thank you to everybody who reached out in support and just saying it's going to be okay. You're always going to miss the kids. Of course, that wasn't really helpful because um, that's the one piece that's the hardest to let go of is missing the kids. And, um, you know, it, it was at the end of the day, it was the right thing to do. And I'll outline why in, in just a minute. But um, I'm no longer a classroom teacher. And... Um, I'm healing from that because a lot of you who may or may not know my story or may or may not know my path know that I didn't actually want to become a teacher. Um, the reality was that in my last year of college, I made $5,000, a little bit less actually, um, as I tried to navigate getting a degree and um, trying to find some kind of future prospects. I had a lot of help on the way, obviously. And um, particularly from the late, great Dr. Elisa Facio, uh, University of Colorado at Boulder, ethnic studies professor extraordinaire, um, who hooked me up. And rest in peace, Dr. Facio, I'll never forget you. But the idea of getting $25,554 a year at that time, 1999, was, um, I couldn't pass it up. I just couldn't pass it up, and so I got into it, and I fell in love with the work, being with young people and learning from them and with them every single day was the most powerful thing I ever did. Teaching put me on a path to become more human, and I got to tell you that that wasn't something I expected. I expected to maybe become good at teaching. I expected to become knowledgeable and have my students perform academically and have um, college admissions and all those kinds of things. And, and in, at different moments, that definitely happened. Um, but I think the most powerful thing about teaching is that it taught me everything that I know about the human condition, about what we all go through, about what it means to be around folks that you may or may not share values with that you may or may not share experiences with, that you may or may not even understand, and you may clash, and you have to deal with that as a teacher. And that's something that was so important to me in my path because I'm a person that can be a little stubborn and I don't like being corrected. I don't like being told that I'm wrong. I don't like being challenged, um, or I didn't at least at that time. And teaching will challenge those things. Teaching broke some really bad habits in me. And um, I'm forever grateful for the opportunity to be a teacher. Now, I also have to say that teaching broke other things in me that I will heal from. 
I'm beginning that process a little bit right now. Like I kind of don't want to start that process for obvious reasons because in order to heal, one has to open old wounds. And in order to open old wounds, you got to be willing to feel a little bit worse for a little bit and be in a little bit more pain than, than the dull pain you dealt with with this kind of unaddressed um, harm that you've been the victim of. And, and, it, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I didn't harm others. I have harmed others along the process. And, you know, when you harm others, you also harm yourself. And um, I'm starting to learn some of that as well. So it's been a lot of tough lessons as I sit here today. But you're going to hear a lot more about that um, here and in other places. Um, I will bring you with me um, alongside me during this sort of journey in the direction of healing and in the direction of becoming more human. And um, if you want to be, you know, and if not, you can always skip my intros and go right to the show. Um, Speaking of the show, um, I have a really exciting guest. And and those of you who have been longtime followers of uh, Two Dope Productions and uh, the Two Dope Teachers and a Mike work that we've been doing are familiar with Lauren Peraro. Uh, you can find Lauren um, at the Instagram account at Teach2Blossom. Um, she's dope. She's is so cool. And shout out to you, Lauren. You just got your master's in history, which is something I never accomplished and I always wanted to. And it's just such a beautiful thing. And I'm so excited for you because that content you were bringing before you finished your master's was fire. And now you're just going to be continuing to bring the fire. Um, Lauren, um, Lauren is just such a fascinating and brilliant and creative person. And I really enjoy the time that I've been able to be in community with her. Lauren is a deep thinker. Lauren is a great teacher. Um, but I, I've seen Lauren go on this path towards humanization and and it's been really amazing to just see where she's gone with all this stuff and so the reason that Lauren's on habitually disruptive now full disclosure we had this conversation a few months ago um my graduate program began to eat me alive as did some mental health struggles that I was dealing with so thank you to everybody who stuck with us and stuck with me through that time it's a very difficult time but um you know, Lauren and I had a great conversation, and, and we had had this conversation before about what are the implications if you over-identify with your job? What's left? And I'm asking myself a lot of those same questions right now because as I depart the classroom, as all of my stuff from my 14-year career, well, all the stuff that I kept, is in my garage and not in a storage room waiting for the next year, I'm realizing how much I over-identified with my profession. I'm always going to see things through the lens of a public school teacher, um, but this idea of what happens when we invest that much in a job is just so significant to me. And uh, so this conversation is is super fun and super enlightening. Um, I always gain something when I when I hear from Lauren and when she shares. Uh, her professional learning, but also when she shares her personal, spiritual, emotional grown, grow, <laughs> groaning, uh, growing and her path towards healing. So without any further ado, it just gives me great pleasure to bring you this conversation from the wintertime, I think, um, with myself, Gerardo Munoz, and Lauren Perraro on Habitually Disruptive. Enjoy. 
Yo, what is up, everybody? Um, listen, so I'm super excited to be sitting here with my friend. Are we friends? I feel like we're friends. Are we friends? I don't want to be presumptuous. I, you know, like um, so much of my soul. So I feel like, yes, at this point. <laughs> I'm sitting with my friend, Lauren Perraro. Um, you may know her better as uh, as the teacher who runs the account Teach to Blossom on Instagram. Um, and, and, and we're here. This is a repeat guest. I'm super excited uh, to be here. So welcome back to Habitually Disruptive. Very, very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, always. Like, I, I feel like you could, I, I feel, well, you, you started a podcast, um, right? And we, yes. I feel like that's a really great space for you. So um, yeah, if I could, if I could have you on this show, it's an amazing thing. So, um, so we connected through social media, um, which is, it's becoming more and more common um, for educators to find each other. And it's been really, your story is just so interesting because I've been able to watch you just learn and share your learning. And, and there's been so much that I've gleaned from just watching your posts and just knowing how transparent you've been with things. Um, it has been a wild two years of teaching for you, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah. I feel like there's really never like a dull moment. Um, and it's, I think a lot of what teachers are experiencing right now is just feeling like the carpet is pulled right underneath us constantly. Yeah. So I, I feel like I never really had much stability prior. To well, that's what I was going to say. Like you yeah. did not get to experience the carpet per, per se. Um, yes. So for those of you, for those listeners who aren't familiar with your story, um, you're a pandemic teacher. Um, you came into the business um, as, as the pandemic kind of was about to kick off. Talk a little bit about that. So from from the point where you were preparing to get into your own classroom, get into your own classroom in the fall of 2019. Um, talk a little bit about that evolution, like how that went for you from the start to March. I had a lot of energy and passion, and I, I still do, obviously, but there was just this newness. Like I look back on that version of me, pre-pandemic, pre classroom teacher on record version of me. And she seems so like hungry and ferociously um, just ready for knowledge and experience. So I um, had experiences in education that propelled me to my credential program in California, which is what you need. And in the 2019-2020 school year, I was the it was the first time I was in the classroom. Um, and so I was very much overextended. Um, at the same time, I was getting my master's in U.S. history. So it was probably maybe about like the second semester that I started teaching and also grad schooling at the same time. And I just look back now on that version of me where my weekends were spent lesson planning, trying to figure out how to balance creating curriculum for both U.S. history and world history right. for both two different grade levels for each of those. And feeling like in many cases now I've kind of come to the conclusion when school shut down in March of 2020, that it was bittersweet because it came with so much negativity. But at the same time, I don't know if I would have been able to like make it through that school year with the way I was operating. Yeah. Yeah. Did, like when you reflect back, it feels like it wasn't super sustainable. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, um, so you, you talked a little bit about um, 
that kind of shutdown is in the immediate moment when when things shut down and you're on the west coast and so i think you all um saw the writing on the wall kind of before we did um that moment when things got shut down how serious did you think it was like i see those memes online where you really thought it was just like two weeks and you'd come back yeah and then the reality hits you that this is going to be far more serious than you initially thought so I yeah. think back to those those last moments in that classroom with those students when we had you know plans for what we were going to be doing in two weeks, but the reality was that like things were the whole school year was just going to be um, online. Yeah. yeah, we were so two weeks before I was teaching in my world history class, and we were actually talking about um, epidemics and the pathogens and all this other kind of stuff. So we had gotten this great idea to play the game pandemic. <laughs> in uh in class and so we played it and the and it was you know it's a great if you if you haven't played it play it it's interesting although it has a little bit more it's got there's another dimension to it now two years out from it and so the students accused me of you know manifesting the pandemic by having them like play this whole thing but i remember feeling the same way as as you did like i for me and we're on different kind of ends of this experience spectrum um where I've been teaching for such a long time that when when our district announced that we were going to take three weeks off, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> because I, you know, I think, and, and I think I've made public my own kind of struggles with staying in the classroom and whether that's truly what I, what I want to do at this point. And, um, and so, and then there was this kind of guilt knowing that I was feeling like no, nah, man, I could use a break. And meanwhile, you know, ERs are overwhelmed and the medical professionals are overwhelmed and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I guess there's not, not really a way to like look back at that time and have any other sort of way of thinking about it. Um, so you felt that your approach was just not going to be sustainable for, no. for the next three months. 100%. And the more I think about, um, and the more you kind of talk about that experience and getting myself back into that headspace, I really feel like it was super instrumental to propelling me into kind of like this next evolution of like who I am as a teacher and a person. And that is where I had time to do nothing. Like I literally read a book called how to do nothing. Yeah. And it, it, it's like a book of essays and it kind of has like major thesis is like the importance of disconnecting from the um, social media world and internet world and really finding your place in the world's um, disconnected from that. And the idea of like oh, having an audience yeah. Um, and, and this is a, this is Jenny O'Dell's book, right? Yes, the the yes. one about um, it's like the what does she call it? The attention economy? Is that yes. how she? Yeah, yeah. It was crucial. And then more recently, I have read um, "Laziness Does Not Exist" by yes. Dr. Devin Price, yeah. and I think they pair so well together. <laughs> and so the space I really needed at that time allowed me to address for the first time my perfectionism and my overworking mentality where I feel like that is how I gain validation um, through like achievement. And so it was the first moment I had a second to breathe and sit with things um, and things came up and then also attached that as a lot of negative stuff of like um, the world being shut down and pausing and what that meant for all of us. There's obviously negative stuff that came with that experience, but there was that bright spot of being able to put pause in my career and really evaluate if I was really happy with the way things were working because it's so easy yeah. to just keep moving in survival mode 
when you get into the classroom, just trying to get to the end of the class period, end of the day or end of the week in many cases too. So it helped me just pause and sit. And that's what this past winter break has allowed me to do after, you know, this be my my third year in the classroom evaluating and being honest with myself, because I'm so good at lying to myself, like, no, I got this, but I'm just trying I mean, to survive. more than one thing can be true, though, right? Because, yes. Yes. you know, having had multiple conversations with you about teaching and, you know, seeing the, you know, when I was an early service teacher, I didn't have the depth of knowledge or the creativity that you have. And so I think, I think there is something really exceptional about you as an educator. And I do think that when you say I got this, you probably do in a lot of ways, but also you don't. And those are two things that often coexist. So you, you always get my mind kind of like, you know, racing when, when I start hearing your reflections, because I think you have a presence of mind that I didn't have as a, as a young teacher um, or as an early service teacher. Um, and uh, one of the things I'm thinking about is there's this conventional wisdom, particularly among us grizzled veterans, right? That you know, what we went through is really tough because we've been doing things a certain way for however long it's been. But, you know, the new teachers, they didn't, you know, it probably didn't affect them the same way and it's going to be a little bit different for them. But when you talk about your perfectionism and when you talk about these things that you've had to sort of untangle about yourself, what you're saying is that the pandemic was disruptive to you not just as a professional, but all of these, all of these experiences you've had, all these dispositions you've developed in life that you had to kind of reckon with. Does that sound like accurate? Yes, very accurate. And as uh, what you were saying previously about feeling like me as an early service educator, that I somehow have become more like evolved in my like self-awareness or self-consciousness as an educator in the classroom than yourself when you were at this phase. I think what I have that you don't or that you didn't was the pandemic. I think it has sped up my, my learning, my experiences, my understandings of self. And it is in a strange way, this like double-sided, bittersweet superpower where I feel like it has given me this kind of level of enlightenment. Yeah. But also the duality of that is that there's just so many challenges that come with this pandemic and the feeling of insecurity. And it really does exacerbate my anxieties that I know from other teachers on Instagram and other social media platforms that they also feel that same way too in their kind of daily life experiences. You know, this is, it's, it's like, it's like an origin story, right? So it's kind of like you know, and I always bring some of this stuff back to comic books, right? And where you have this individual that, you know, had some talents, had some gifts, had some dispositions, had some, some ways that they live their life. And then this thing happens, it's often a traumatic thing um, that develops this kind of superpower. But I think that's one of the things that gets lost a lot when we start talking about like superpowers. And I'm, I'm super into like Afrofuturism and stuff like that these days. And so yes. when you start looking at trauma as something that yes can expose you know strength that maybe you didn't realize you had or that you didn't have before it's still trauma it's still an injury it's still pain and it's still something that's had to heal 
that that's yeah i didn't have a pandemic that i had to deal with you know and that that definitely makes a big difference um so when you kind of came onto the scene or my scene i should say because i think <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like the most male-centric thing to say right it's like well so when you started which really just means when i started seeing that your work was out there <laughs> but to be fair that was pretty early on i feel was it? i think i started posting uh maybe around like 2018 like late 2018 okay. Yeah, no, so maybe so. Yeah. And we we had had we had had the podcast Instagram since about 2017. So it's probably when yeah, so maybe it is. You know, um one of our first conversations was so cool because you have these like great resources and this incredible ability to put together these activities that are engaging and authentic and at some point we should also talk about the local history work that you do. Um, that is such a great example. And I remember you saying that it was so important to, to you to build community across uh, digital space, um, to get connected to people, and this kind of generosity that you had with these resources, um, not just with like lessons and activities that you prepared, but also like readings, like you have this like abolitionist stuff that that you had linked in there. And there's like, and it, it, there's something that just really cool about going to a link in someone's bio. And it's like, oh, wow, it's like a literal drive. Like there's like stuff here that is really interesting. And that process, I think, was really empowering to you before. What's been the the kind of evolution of that, Lauren, on you know, in this social media space, especially when you look at some of the work, some of the work that you've been reading and some of the work you've been doing on yourself? Um, I think the, again, going back to the pandemic, I think that's what happened. I really do love to share my resources and curriculum and what I'm reading. And I do like book summaries on there of the things I've read and even have people, I give them like four options of books and then people who follow me on my stories are like so cool. share or like they'll, they'll vote and they'll choose which book. And then I do like chapter summaries, like one a day. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I do like engaging on that. I think as I evolve my platform and it's not, I'm not like a 10 K teacher influencer, but even with just like 4,000 followers that is a lot of interaction over time. And so I think it was like a delicate dance to figuring out what I could handle um, with the workload and feeling like distance learning all last year. Yeah. I th you think you know what you're getting yourself into, but nothing really can prepare you. Right. And so I think over time, I've evolved to value the process of things over the product itself mm -hmm. and feeling a lot of like, I don't feel a lot of like value for what I do in my professional life, like with, like, I think inherently like education is not something that, um, you can, you don't get like promotions in education. Like, I feel like it's <laughs> right. Like, it's just, oh, okay. Like it's, there's no you, career path. What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. You, you get in there. Okay. You, you kept the students alive for the day and then they left. Okay. You're good. Like you're, yep, you're yep. excelling. And then there's also like those observations that they always try to have like that kind of standardized way of, sure, of sure. assessing teachers effectiveness. Um, and I just feel like with that, like there's no systemic district wide or school wide way of engaging as learners. And I think we've talked about this before where you've, you've brought up where you feel like there's no culture of learning and, and culture of curiosity in 
specific settings within education. Yeah. Um, and so I think how that manifests for me is just knowing that like, I really value the community on Instagram, but realizing that I can't be the bearer, the bearer of the burden of education. And I can't be everybody's source of curriculum and their answers. And I think I've worked through my martyr, um, complex or like maybe my savior complex is probably more adept. I think I am in all aspects of my life, not just professionally, really good at taking on way more than what I think is my space and my, my kind of cut of the, of the pie, so to speak. So I think that's kind of how I've evolved where I do share my ideas. I do share what I'm doing. Um, but I feel like I'm learning that I don't have to be the solution to everybody's problems. I don't have to always provide everything that people I should be respecting of people and their ability as professionals to also create their own things. And that I oftentimes learn and create things more effectively when I just kind of have the ideas and I yeah. read the books. And I think that's what helps me be more effective. So I like the creating the culture of learning and not necessarily being people's database of lessons and materials. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I think that's, that's so deep because, um, that process over product piece, I don't have to be so the solution. I think that needs to be on t-shirts. Um, and I think you should sell said t-shirts and, you know, get, <laughs> get free. <laughs> right. Um, but, but I think that is such an important thing. And I have actually noticed that shift over the last couple of years where, you know, it, and, and you still periodically do share these things. Um, but what I find, especially if the laziness does not exist, um, experience that you had, you know, posting excerpts, reflections, inviting others to do the same thing, like taking people into that reflective process that you're that you're in. And it isn't just about this like dynamite graphic organizer that gets changing continuities, like really nails it with, you know, with uh, primary sources and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, it's actually, here's actually what I'm thinking about and here's how it, um, here's how it plays out in the work that I do and the work I'm doing for myself, how have people um, have people spoken to you kind of directly about this dynamic that you're cultivating? That that it is becoming less about being the high achieving savior teacher and more about let's just go through a process together and learn about ourselves and learn about how we can how we can experience a more humane um, profession in life. I think I've gotten better at having more like sustained, um, relationships with people on teacher Instagram, because I think it's a bridge to getting to know others and to connect over that, having more of uh, a focus on, um, the humans that are there, as opposed to just like providing the resource that will help them, um, uh, meet their kind of curriculum goals. Um, I do have some people that continually, like, I mean, it's people that, you know, you post on Instagram, not everybody's seeing every post that you share so they don't kind of get the message. I do still have people who ask like, is this on TPT or, um, can you mind sharing this? And if it's like a close friend, like I assume like that is a colleague of mine, that is like a different story. But to me, what I really felt is what feels good, what feels really affirming and from a good place of like within my boundaries to share with other people, those things I spent hours outside of my contract time to create and my expertise in this master's program that I've built up over time is really when I know they're investing in myself. And I feel Mm -hmm. like in my profession, and I feel like a lot of teachers feel this too, that there is not enough investment in us as professionals. Yeah. So, um, 
when there are other folks who are sharing resources with myself, they're engaging in that kind of co-creation, co-learning process, it feels like this contribution that is reciprocal. And that is really how I define community. But going back to the whole Jenny O'Dell book, she really pushes you to find those learning communities off social media platforms, because those are likely the more like life-affirming reciprocal ones where there is that accountability, there is that consistency. Um, So finding and kind of creating those niches within like that larger following community has helped me feel like what I'm doing isn't just giving things out to the universe, like this black hole. There are things coming back to me that make me feel validated, that make me feel like um, I'm also being nurtured as I am nurturing others. Yeah, I think I think that's really key because I think that as as you as as you engage in a community in an educational community, um, there does like community is about I, I don't want to say give and take, but but it's a, it's about how we can uplift each other, how we can amplify each other, how we can support each other, and um, and how we can provide some kind of like forum where there is a relationship and where is there connection being made? I, I was, um, I was reading Angela Watson's book, um, you know, more things or fewer things better, I think is what it's called. And one of the things she writes about is that when burnout happens, it happens because there are a couple of things that teachers aren't experiencing. They're, they're not experiencing autonomy and they're not experiencing creativity that the more you get sort of bogged down under the expectations of others and these systems that you don't have any any power over, that's what actually grinds a person down. And I think that maybe the same can be said, you know, and honestly, obviously not everybody's like this, maybe the same thing can be said about the social media world, right? That there are these sort of, well, we need this from you. Like you're the one that writes the great PowerPoints and like this kind of thing. And, you know, versus, so that that can kind of wear you down, even if it's something that you enjoy. But I, th- I think there's definitely been a lot of joy in, the, in what you're putting out there lately. Um, yeah, it's just kind of an incredible thing. Um, so when it comes to now, I, I think that, I mean, you have to know that there are these, these like huge possibilities for you, right? Um, whether you're in the classroom or outside of the classroom. How are you thinking about yourself now? How are you thinking about the work that you do now? How are you thinking about education now um, compared to that person that kind of that started this pre-pandemic? <laughs> that is such a... I know, is that not a loaded question at all? Right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> <a lot. laughs> yes, yes. I feel like this year and the next are going to be the years that are very much deciding my paths, like really solidifying which route I'm going down. Because I do think there's multiple routes I can take within the maze of life and it hasn't fully been um, like realized for me. So I'm not like stuck on one thing. I would love to, and I feel like I still have the energy and the patience and the potential longevity of being in the classroom for a longer time because I do find a lot of fulfillment in that students are responding so well to my personality and my teaching style and the learning experiences that I put a lot of effort and energy into providing. Yeah. So that is really gratifying. Like they're 
a big source of like validation for my work. Um, so I would hope that with my master's degree being done, so excited yeah, for that spring. <laughs> Thank you. As you're starting yours. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. P- PhD at this point. And so that's next been, level. Uh, it's been amazing. It's been amazing, by the way. Like it's best, best thing I've ever done. Keep learning. <laughs> yes. Keep learning. That's what I, I want to do. Like, that's kind of like my value is like knowledge, education, learning, um, and then also teaching. So seeing with my master's degree, being able to also work at community colleges and potentially working within teacher credential programs, yeah. because I do find so much fulfillment in that meta practice of like pedagogy and teaching and the philosophies behind that. Um, and I, I'm always like looking back at like my credential experience, like what I wish I would have known versus what actually the reality is. Like nobody yeah. mentioned how much time you work outside of your contract hours. Yeah. Yeah. That should be the thing they tell you on day one, but they probably don't want to scare you off. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So yep. I have a. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out in in future years. You know, I'm 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 in you know a, a, an education program, and so there's a lot of conversation about teacher prep right now. And one of the things I'll be fascinated to know is where these conversations around humanizing practice and humanizing pedagogy and work-life balance. Like these are things that we always said for, yes. you know, Lord knows how long in the profession, but we're kind of in a position where we kind of have to mean it now. Like it's actually kind of becoming okay to say we're not going to do something. I got to shout out my principal right now because she just sent a uh, spreadsheet out like to us saying, you know, put down which mental health days you want to take because I know that you need time. I need, I know you need time to rest and get away from this work. I also need to make sure classes are covered. <laughs> and so she's like, just put it, just drop it in, drop it in the sheet. And that is unprecedented like, in my experience. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. And so I think a lot of like, a lot of this has been kind of rolling with the punches. Right. And I think maybe that's something that, that you did initially, like just kind of, okay, this is what the profession is giving me. So let me adjust to it. And now you're kind of saying, actually, let me just think about what I'm, what I'm bringing into the profession and what's good for me. Oh, yes. I think that's a really perfect way of explaining it. It is the pandemic has made me, has forced me to confront this job and it has accelerated what probably would have taken me maybe 10 years to realize and to do it within a span of like three years. So in many ways that was an arduous and it's a continually like arduous, heartbreaking, grieving process, but how my expectations don't meet reality. But at the same time, it is this loosening in a way of my attachment as a teacher kind of loosening of like that identity that I think is making my relationship to teaching more healthy and more sustainable. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that um, because the pandemic has had me really take my mental health and my humanity and the humanity of my students and colleagues to the forefront, that that will allow for me to have far more years inside the classroom, which would definitely be my goal. And to also still have that passion for learning and education and being a part of that. Yeah, that's so deep. Um, I want to, I want to ask you about the, the grieving part, because I think that's something that I've heard it mentioned in a couple of spaces, but folks aren't usually willing to unpack that piece. And I think you sort of touched on it, but, but what, what is the grieving part for you? 
for me, that has looked like having certain expectations for how my profession would be. And I think there's a lot of idealization of the profession prior to being in the classroom, but I had a lot of hopes and I had a lot of things prior, like in 2019, when I had started that first semester of teaching, I was building up curriculum that I was putting a lot of time and energy in that I really believed in. And I had hopes for how the next year I would evolve that. But it meant things being stable. It meant security. So to be able to be creative and take chances and and take risks and do things that are unconventional, that go against many systems, you need a sense of like safety and security and community. And it's hard when we're all kind of just trying to survive and fend for ourselves to also be engaged in like creative, fulfilling, nurturing work when that energy really needs to be like put on our, um, our stability and, um, feeling like good with ourselves and and healthy and stable. So not being able to have the school year and educational experience that I imagine I'd have on the outset of starting my career is very disillusioning. Um, but as I mentioned prior and like all kind of losses, there are unexpected gems of light, happy, like um, positive touch points that make you more aware of like, what is like your next steps and that you can accept like the loss of, of your, your dream and understand that, um, you know, it, it likely won't be something you can get back. Um, but I think the tension comes when you don't like accept that that is like the reality now. I see a lot of teachers on social media really talking about how education will never be the same again. And that makes me so sad because like I've never experienced it prior to a pandemic, yeah. except like yeah. six months. Yeah. So it's just accepting that I had hopes and dreams for how things would turn out, but thus is life. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, that, that no, that resonates so deeply with kind of where I am, because I think that, I think there was always this, you know, um, a, as a veteran, there was always this kind of like goal that I had of like, I'll be a great teacher when I'm able to do this. And when I'm, when I'm like, I, I man, I'm going to get there. And then like every year is a new chance to like do it. And, you know, even if this year is not great next year, I always have next year. And then I think March of 2020 showed me you don't always have next year. Like you don't always have, you don't always have the, the opportunity to just, just, just remix the album. Right. Um, Because the, because the album may have seemed great in February of 2020. And then by May, it just feels irrelevant. And and I think, you know, you mentioned perfectionism. I don't think it's perfectionism for me. I always felt like I had a, I just had unlimited chances to try as long as I was of sound mind and body. Like I'm, I'm just gonna keep on trying because most of the things and most of the people who know me who are close to me will tell you that most things I do not get right the first time. I will, I will make a whole mess out of everything. And then I can kind of like pick it up and be like, oh, this is kind of interesting, you know? And I think realizing that I may not always have a chance and I may not reach the level that I always thought I should be able to reach. And that's okay. That's okay. Like, 
I stopped teaching AP World History before this year just because I knew I knew the planning and I knew the assessment. I knew all those pieces were going to clash with my graduate studies. And I had to make the decision that my graduate studies were going to be the most important, most important professional thing I was doing. And I just kind of, I remember saying to Kevin, um, yo, man, um, I'm handing this class off to you. Some dragons remain unslain, bro. Like I didn't win this one. I didn't win it and it's okay because you don't always win them and some dragons get to just live their lives, you know, <laughs> despite despite the most prepared and 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 bravest night. And so as you kind of talk about that grief, that's kind of what I'm experiencing too, because things shifted really deeply for me over the last almost two years. And it's been in the last few months that I'm like, bro, this ain't gonna be the same, actually. It actually is not going to be the same. And, and actually that's okay. And actually maybe that's good for me. Yes. I like the, the end point of like actually realizing that it is like a good thing. Like, I think that's what I was trying to get at prior with like the pandemic and how it has changed me as a person, as yeah. much as like, and as a professional, as much as um, I'm sad that there's that lack of stability within um, our profession. I feel like I'm, it's very likely I would have still had something to be unhappy about prior because the system itself is incredibly flawed. So it's very likely I'd still, I'd probably be pushed out like many other educators feel like they are right now. Like there's not a month that goes by that there isn't some post on um, social media where an educator is saying that they are resigning from their position. And so I think there's just so much grief within our our, uh, profession. And that's a key part of, um, Dr. Devin Price's work about like, first, like we should probably start with grief and addressing our grief and really honoring that and sitting with that prior to like moving into like that action piece when it comes to, um, our activism. So I think there's a lot of hopes and disappointments, um, right now, simultaneously working themselves out. I think it's a very critical point for like educators and professions that leaves me, um, kind of exhilarated, but also very nervous for how this all will kind of play itself out. Yeah. And I, and I think the labor force too, I think the labor force is asking itself some really important questions about, am I just going to be an instrument of the economy or am am I going to actually try to be a, a fully actualized human being and just, and just say, if, if this is, if this is what's expected of me in a pandemic, like I might just have to opt out, you know, um, it, it's, it's interesting to, you know, what you said about uh, quoting Dr. Price about how we don't sit in the grief long enough. Like we, we, we feel bad. And so we're like, well, I need to quit, obviously. Like I need to quit and not definitely not going to be dismissive of anybody who has made the decision to walk away in a lot of ways. I probably have wanted to quit teaching forever and just was kind of like, no, nah, I should stick this out, you know, without kind of getting into the weeds of those feelings. Um, but that's such an important point to kind of make. Uh, do you do you feel that um, what are, what are the things I guess that you think could be done for folks to actually go through that mourning process a little bit that maybe that they didn't give themselves a chance to go through? Is it about just letting go of what we thought was going to happen and figuring out what to do from there? Or what, what is it that can be done? I think that's such an important question. And that's like at the forefront of 
my experience right now and then what I'm sharing on my Instagram account, it's a lot of realizing what the profession really is. I think that's the biggest thing that you get to experience if you you follow me. It's like my expectations of what I think things were versus like reality that um, that I had this perception and it was definitely not what I thought it was like going to be about. So I'm still figuring that out for myself. I feel that being able to be with other people and to feel like you are being seen and like other people are also experiencing those same things. Um, I think isolation just breeds and, and creates and like manifests this kind of like frozen feeling emotionally. So I think if we can move through that isolation that I know, I feel like when people don't understand or like the non-educator people in my life, um, it makes me feel more alienated in my grief, in my disappointments when I'm not engaging with other people. So my Instagram account where I'm mostly active is my lifeline in many instances that makes me feel less alone, less isolated. So I think the first step is like finding other people who also feel the same way that you do and that they don't have the answers. Um, and that they are just as much like trying to create this better system and they're facing the same kind of circumstances. I think that is so healing. Um, and the isolation can make us feel so disconnected from that in a way that might not have us, um, experiencing the more life-giving part of that experience. Maybe, um, what I hear you hinting at, or maybe I'm just deciding, (laughs) is that may, maybe our, our kind of relentless pursuit of, of a solution um, in, you know, for the last generation or so of public education, maybe, maybe that's the piece that needs to go away where, where I've found that folks and having, you know, I, I, I like to tell people I started teaching in the late 20th century. Um, and so, um, and so for me, what I have noticed is now people are willing to at least name things that they weren't willing to name 10 years ago, five years ago. And man, naming it is just so powerful because, you know, I was, I was complaining the other day cause it's my favorite hobby. And um, I, I was talking to my across the hall neighbor and she asked me, how you doing? I'm like, I want to quit this job. And I was, you know, it was one of those things like, I'm just, why, why don't I just quit this job? It's terrible. And she says, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. <laughs> But it feels really good to have you say that, <laughs> that I'm not the only one that is like, what if I just don't come in anymore? <laughs> like, they won't put me in jail, <laughs> you know, is what she said. And I think, I think naming that kind of discomfort and just kind of also like I'm getting comfortable naming when good things are happening, when it's just kind of like, man, t- today was pretty good. Like, actually, I had fun with the kids and I'm allowed to have fun with the kids and there's that kind the of good of, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think like, and I know you kind of, you, you don't necessarily view yourself as an influencer, but I think part of, part of your influence is like, there's a reason that Peace of Blossom is not a meme account, right? Like there's depth to the things that you are putting out there. It's authentic, it's deep, it's relatable. Um, and in that way, if there is influence that you are bringing, it's the influence that says, no, nah, it's actually okay to be lazy, which is like, it's, it's actually okay to do these different things. And, 
And maybe, maybe some of these things are okay. Maybe they're not, who knows, but we're feeling it. And that's reality. So, so I would actually offer that in terms of being an influencer, I think that, I mean, if there's a way to influence people to be ambivalent and thoughtful and reflective and to be like, I don't know, but at least I'm in this space with a whole bunch of really cool people who also don't know, you know, and we can lean on each other, you know? Yeah, that is the goal because in my, um, in my, my teaching world, like in, in person, I guess, at my school site, I do have some people, but also like I'm in my classroom by myself quite a bit, which is nice because like, it's the way that you kind of build yourself back up again after giving your energy, um, during the day. Um, but I, I feel like with Instagram, um, it's just a, a place where you can, um, be, your rawest, most authentic self and not have to contextualize things in ways you might with people in your personal life that aren't within the education world. So if that is my legacy, I will happily take it. Um, cause I just, I just know that the job itself is kind of built to be so like disheartening. And yeah. so like, like you are the, like you are the failure, like you are the person that is doing the wrong things. And I yeah. think when you gave that example about your colleague feeling very comforted by the fact that you two also weren't really <laughs> happy with the job, I think they also yeah. realized in that moment too, whether I think they'd be understood it or not, like they're not the problem. And I think teachers get into the profession because they are people who have so much heart and soul and passion for what they do, that they are also kind of the people that tend to um, blame themselves because we um, just want to do such a good job. And if we're not taking like the systemic context pieces also into consideration, we could be feeling like we're the failures. Actually, we're the ones being failed. Um, so I think that also helps my grieving process too, is to realize that I didn't do this. Like I'm not, I'm doing all I can. I'm actually doing more than I probably should. And many teachers are right now and have always been. Um, to make the situation work, to make the day, right. the, the wheels on this bus keep spinning. Yeah. Um, and so I think when we understand that we've actually been able to be more effective than what we actually are being valued for within these larger systems, yeah. I think if anybody leaves the profession, whether it's year one or year 25, um, they should leave the profession knowing that they weren't the reason why um, they have a negative feeling or emotion towards a profession leaving if that is their situation that they it wasn't did you. what they could. Yes. It wasn't them. Yeah. So I think that's also part of the grieving process too, is like targeting the actual root of this. And it is not individual teachers who put their heart and souls in their education, their expertise into making learning experiences important for students. Yeah. It wasn't you folks. It wasn't you if that's what you choose to to do. Um, it reminds me of um, someone else I, I follow on social media, uh, Nora Rahimian, who does a lot of this work. And um, I don't know, it's hard to describe the work that she does. Got to connect with her. Um, but what, what she does is she really does bring things back to systems and saying, listen, um, there are systems that were constructed in a particular way that's not sustainable. And I even remember you back in the day when we first uh, met and started talking. I remember you, like, we were talking about your resources, and you're like, I just don't know how sustainable this was. And I think I remember kind of reassuring you that, oh, no, you'll make stuff, and then you won't have to ever, like, make that same stuff again. And 
and then the pandemic and now we're <laughs> not making anything <laughs> but making different things um just thank you for this conversation this has been so it's just it's just fun to talk to you and it's it's just good to to hear how you're naming things and um and just thank you for being so transparent and sharing your journey with us i really appreciate this space and i think it's really cool that i'm like very early on in my career and you are very much up there and the number is like the years you've been in that is you are an elder in our teacher community thank you no, that means um, a lot. thank you yeah and um I, I just feel like it's so helpful to feel like I have like the other side of the fence with you that you just get things in ways that um, a lot of other folks don't. So it's always, um, you extend my learning and then you affirm my current reality. So thank you. Oh, and likewise, and at some point I'll have to tell you about how I don't know if I ever wanted to be a teacher. Like, so we'll talk about that that's another a story. day. And I think, I think that's actually been the key to me being successful as a teacher, but it's come at a price and all that kind of stuff. Um, you ready to go into top fives? I am so ready. It's so, so random, ready. but I'm so ready. No, that's good. So I'm a, so folks, if you are just tuning into Habitually Disrupted for the first time, um, I like to ask my guests to do top five, whatever, just what are your five favorite things of anything? So those of you, we've gotten a lot of great responses to Jody Miller from WellCheck. Um, we'll just rehash her top five real quick. Top five amazing things everyone needs in, her in their life. Caffeinated hot chocolate, hats on cats, Splenda and tea, pretzels and slippers. Um, pretty great top five. Um, I've been working on a top five. Um, I did with Nora, I did top five pens. That was, that was controversial. I felt like we had a little back and forth there and I, I did not realize the hot takes that I was like bringing about pens. But I have my top five philosophers, um, top five thinkers, and it, it was gonna be it was gonna be pedagogues, right? It was gonna be education philosophers. But I've realized I also draw from outside of education in some of my thoughts. So, in no particular order, and you should know yours don't have to be a hierarchy if you don't want them to be. Um, in no particular order, um, Paulo Freire. Obviously, uh, one that's super fun. Uh, Paolo talks about how there's no authentic educational process that is not at the same time, that does not move the teacher and student both forward. And so that's some powerful stuff. Plus, the man had an outstanding beard, and you can't get mad about that. Um, <laughs> the Queen Bell Hooks. Um, this was the first time, actually, not with Freddy. Uh, teaching and transgress was the first time I heard the phrase teaching ought to be the practice of freedom. And I'm a fanatic. And so I take things or try to, to their logical conclusion, um, especially on the days that I don't have a great lesson plan. Um, <laughs> uh, another one is Henry Giroux. Um, I love Giroux. Uh, Giroux talks about how the, how the teacher really ought to be a public intellectual that oftentimes we stand in these spaces and we didn't get a chance to talk about your local history work, which I think is like so amazing. But Giroux talks about how teachers can occupy a really unique and important space, which is we often connect the communities we serve to the things that are going on in the day. So if you've ever helped a parent figure out their taxes or help them navigate a, a system not in the school, then you kind of understand. And I've had 
I've had, you know, in the 2016 election, I had a lot of parents approach me afterwards saying, what do we do? Like, how, do, how should I understand what's happened? And how should I understand these things? And so Giroux names that. Um, and he also talks about the radical imaginary, which I think is like such a beautiful thing. Um, the fourth is not an educator, um, but it's Arundhati Roy, who, who wrote The God of Small Things, one of my top five novels that I've ever read in my life. Um, she has a quote um, that carries me through my practice. Uh, she, she has a great book called um, An Ordinary Person's Guide to Empire. Um, and so she's an Indian writer who talks about imperial capitalist practices. And she says, um, there is no such thing as the silent, only the silenced or the preferably unheard. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks when I first wrote it, read it. So when I see a kid who is quiet, I wonder where they do like to make noise, whether it's in writing and creativity, whatever. And so like always remembering that there isn't just a quiet kid, like, you know, they, they make noise somewhere. And then the other is actually a, a current um, writer. And this is uh, Farima Porkorshid, a Palestinian um, professor of education. Um, who did this amazing work on critical sisterhood praxis, which is super fun, um, really looking at like these connections between women educators of color. But then she writes about fugitive spaces as well, where uh, teachers from marginalized communities find each other as ways of sort of retreating um, from oppressive systems. So those are mine. I didn't mean to get so serious about it, uh, but it, <laughs> but I just I get into these ideas and it's like super fun. But um, but Lauren, what is your top five? Me? Okay. So um, a natural well, outgrowth. All, do, you have a, do, do you have any comments about my top five? Did I screw oh, anything up? Like No, maybe? love them. And I love the um, the quotation about like the, uh, from the empire, I think it was yeah. from Roy, um, yep. looking at other ways and just like questioning like the, the silence and other routes or paths to people students being able to like maybe show their learning in ways maybe they are and like I kind yeah, of took yeah. a, a different spin on it but like maybe yep. writing isn't the way that they voice their opinions maybe it's you know the conversations as they're walking into class or maybe it's other type of uh, the other connection points like always finding those connection points so I love yeah, those yeah. and I'm Gosh, familiar so with dope. a lot of a lot of those but many of them I wasn't familiar with so nice cool list. all right um, all right your top five okay so um, just for some context, my top five, um, a natural outgrowth of my kind of internal work, um, how the personal is so professional, I guess, to take the, yeah, yeah. Take the spin on the, that kind of very popular, well-known quotation. Um, yes. <laughs> that as the evolution of me kind of first, like figuring out um, that I'm really achievement oriented and I'm a super big perfectionist, all that stuff. What I've learned is that I also need other ways to identify myself as a person and not just like as a teacher. So mm -hmm. what that really has looked like is me reconnecting or maybe like actually for the first time connecting with my spirituality and like my spiritual side. So with that has come newfound frontiers. Intro, yes. Amazing <laughs> intro. I love it. <laughs> newfound frontiers of like um, engaging with things that are less um, concrete and more 
um, ephemeral, I think, because I need like a bit of lightness in my day when things are just so heavy, like you, yeah. uh, with our job, you really need some place to come home to and finding your center. I think feeling really grounded and keeping your inner peace solid throughout the workday. And for me, that means like mindfulness and that has meant having certain kind of routines and rituals that, um, are really grounded in, um, th- like thinking thinkers and philosophers and uh, critical theory. Um, but also like something a little more woo-woo. So for me, I'm giving you <laughs> my top. <laughs> yeah, it's a little mixed. Um, because I think that's where I really um restore my well of energy and hope is kind of coming back to myself, coming back to center, um, finding myself, finding a community within um the world, like finding where I fit within all that. And it has meant like reconnecting with um like my ancestors and what that really means to. Um, stand on the shoulder of giants, whether they're ancestors by blood or ancestors by profession or some type of identity connection. Um, so I'll, I'll give you my f- top five herbs <laughs> that I use. Nice. Oh, God, I, consume, I know it's like, I told you, it's super <laughs> random. Um, I consume them with like tea or I add them to food or oh, I put them on really candles. Good, like y'all gotta uh, turn it up right now. Cause I actually, th- this, I feel like this has so much promise right now. <laughs> so much potential i know um okay so my first one is cinnamon i love cinnamon mm. number two basil so amazing smells fantastic basil three is cilantro i love it and i know some people think it tastes like soap but i would be so sad these, if they, had- these yeah these are philistines um we don't need to worry about what they think about cilantro <laughs> amazing and i yes i love it um, four is lavender, which you wouldn't guess, but it tastes not taste. Oh my God. Um, it smells really good when you burn it as like for like smoke cleansing. It just smells oh, really good. It's lovely. Right. Yes. Um, and then my last one, which I don't think many people have heard of, but it is mugwort. And so it has like kind of ancestral connections with that. So, um, those are things I like to use and they smell good or they taste really good, or they have some type of like spiritual connection for me. Um, and those are my top five herbs. This is, this is great. Uh, give it up folks. This is really good. So, so cinnamon, oh my gosh, like I stand cinnamon, like, and, and it's got these incredible properties that people didn't realize that like it is, there is a reason people were fighting for the cinnamon trade back in the day. Oh, that's basil, a real history coming out. <laughs> that, that's it. That's it's like, oh, these are all, a couple of these are part of the spice trade. Um, <laughs> basil, basil, basil's amazing. Like, and it, it, it's, man, it goes well on everything. Like, and, and you can see it in these different places, like whether it's in your pho or whether it's on your pizza or whether it's the yerba buena, you know, or you, you can just like chew on good basil, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm a big, big basil fan and, and I can never use it fast enough. Um, cilantro is obvious. I've, I've, I've been in a debate with um, some friends over whether it's should be called Chinese parsley or cilantro. And I know there's probably not a wrong answer, but cilantro is great and i just wonder about the genetic makeup of people for whom it tastes like soap doesn't make any sense um you said eat lavender have you had lavender cookies no i have had lavender tea though but have you had had lavender lavender cookies is that okay yeah so i had a student make some um and and it was an interesting experience but like I've, i've seen more people incorporating lavender in actual food and that's interesting my my spouse is all about lavender, like lavender, everything. And I can never miss 
if I get them anything with lavender. Oh yeah, you can't go wrong. It is just even the color too. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, the the burn possibility. That's kind of interesting. We'll look at that. And what does mugwort do? Um, so I see it a lot in teas, and then yeah. oftentimes it's like in oils or like on candles. So it is not something you really add to like food necessarily. Okay. I think it's more so for like the correspondences, more like spiritual, or like cultural correspondences of it. Yeah. Yo, th- this is a great top five. Um, I really hope people dig into this and and find these amazing properties. Always learn something when I'm in a space with you, Lauren. Um, That's well, why. So thank you. The, yeah, it's great. Um, so thank you so much for being here today. And uh, how can people follow your work, find your work? I know we've done this before, but you know, it's been a while. So how do people follow you, learn from you, get in community with you? Yeah, um, people can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Teach to Blossom. Um, and if on there, you could always um, DM me if people had like any questions, if they wanted to get in contact. But I have a lot of um, things on there that I'm sure if somebody has listened to this episode, it'll resonate with them, the things I offer. And I'm continually adding to my stories more so than posts. So people want to keep up with that. They could always um, turn on notifications and they won't miss anything. And I just love to meet other people too, um, because of the whole like reciprocation. Like that's why I love to be able to chat with you because I feel like I give just as much as I get. Um, and I, yeah, I really appreciate what you do with this space. So thank you. I know you're busy with teaching and just graduate school All the things and being teacher of the year. So thank <laughs> you for having me and making time for me. Super fun, folks. And uh, check this one out. Follow us on Instagram at Two Dope Teachers as well is on Twitter and on whatever other platforms there are. Just type in at Two Dope Teachers. You're gonna find us. We'll be there. Um, thank you for being habitually disruptive. And I want to wish everybody a great week.